Begin driving. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Welcome to Noam on the Move. A podcast looking at how transportation evolved throughout the years and how disruptive technologies will continue to transform it. Here's your host, Noam Metal. You have reached your destination. Welcome to today's episode of Noam on the Move. I'm excited to have Roger Lonto joining me. Roger's the Director of Automotive Practice and Strategy Analytics, which is a global leader in consumer and market research solutions. Over 30 years of experience in the technology and mobility space, both as a journalist and a consultant, Roger's been keynote speaker at several of the most notable events in the mobility space, which is where I got to know him as a thought leader. A lot of the industry experts look to Roger's uh, sharp insight, sometimes critique as well, to understand where things are going and what's and what we're doing right and obviously what's wrong as an industry as well. So, Roger, thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to our discussion. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here, Noam. So I want to kick off diving into the micro rather than the macro. Mobility and transportation is something that affects the entire population, but it also affects every single person individually. And so what brought you to even have a passion for the space and how has it impacted your personal life? I more or less fell into this space, first of all, but I, I guess you could say I turned in the direction of the skid and embraced this industry a long time ago and trying to solve the problems uh, that we're confronting. So we have to face the issue of getting from one place to another every day. How do we do that? I'm constantly trying to figure out if I can get rid of my car. When my three sons each got their first cars, I, I felt like I had somehow failed because I, I have this idea that we're there's something else we're, we should be evolving to something beyond cars, but it looks like cars are a pretty, pretty sticky technology. So if we're stuck with cars, we should be figuring out how to operate them in a safer way, in a, a way that's more efficient and a way that's less harmful to the environment. So that's where I've arrived. Well, it's a slow slugging process, the movement of the transportation industry, but it's interesting when we look at the various verticals in transportation, whether that's government and their role or the automotive, of course, or even new tracks that have evolved recently, like the wireless carriers that have come into play in this space. All of them seem to be running in these parallel tracks, not really converging together as we think of this future vision of how mobility intuitively should look like. Why is the situation so complicated? And why aren't we seeing it converging together? And, and perhaps also, how do we entangle this mess of what exists today? I think the problem is we take transportation for granted. And it, it becomes clear to me when I visit other countries, for example, my in-laws used to visit uh, from Brazil. My wife uh, is from Porto Alegre. And if you go to Porto Alegre and you live in the city as they do, there's buses everywhere. You, you know, why you, you wouldn't have a car. Now, they had a car for a period of time, uh, an old Chevy Malibu, and the Ibu had fell, fallen off, so it was a Chevy Mal. But anyway, <laughs> but it was they were so old, it was to the point of trying to hide the keys from them. And there really was no, you didn't need a car. A car was a headache in the city because the buses are there. But when they would come here, I would discover that there were bus routes all around me in the, in the suburbs that I didn't even know about. So we don't really educate the public here about public transportation and what the options are that are available. Now, that 
take-it-for-granted point of view carries over into the, the constituencies that care about transportation. There isn't a, a sort of a, a, an agreed-upon basis of understanding about how to take this project on. So the wireless carriers are kind of on the periphery of transportation. They're not at, not at the core of the conversation when, when they really should be because they, they tie everything together. The organizations that build the infrastructure, the highways and all the tolling infrastructure, they live in their own little world. They have all their own protocols and, and RF frequencies that they use and, and their little fief, fiefdoms and relationships. The automakers, they live in their own world. There, there was a time when they engaged with the infrastructure manufacturers and advised them how they wanted the roads to be built or how they would prefer they be built. But that was a long time ago. There, there isn't as much collaboration now. They're trying to come together once again. Uh, there's the companies that help the automakers create those cars, the semiconductor companies and the tier ones, the content providers, the navigation companies. And now, of course, you've got Silicon Valley wading in and trying to bring trying to bring these parties together. But they're very set in their ways. And then, of course, you've got the transportation authorities, the regulators and even legislators and typically regulators are all siloed. You know, one authority is. You know the taxi and limousine commission. Then there's the sub, the the agency that's responsible for the subways, and then another agency is responsible for buses and trams, and then another agency is responsible for the highways, the DOT. So, you know, how do we solve these transportation issues with so many constituencies that are not sitting together, working from the same script? So, let's take one that's dear to my heart, which is government, right? Let's take that sector, for example, and look specifically into the world of ITS. For our listeners, ITS, Intelligent Transportation System, it's how we think about management of transportation in a centralized way of our traffic system. And movement, both within our urban and non-urban environment, of course, as well. So if we look at the ITS industry, there really hasn't been a lot of transformation and change over the last 30, 40 years both in terms of the methodology or the systems or technology itself. Why do you think that is? Well, sadly, it's it's all built around markets. So if you go to an ITS event, you, you go to the exhibit area, and everyone's fighting for the next contract with the local Department of Transportation. So in the U.S., it's very regionalized, especially if you're talking about tolling, for example. And they're, they're fighting for limited dollars basically is what the issue is and they, they speak in their own language and they have divided up a lot of the functions and, and applications so that each solution is kind of siloed so the idea of open platforms and interoperability there's a lot of talk about interoperability but there's not a lot of real action on interoperability so as i said there's all sorts of different protocols and, and wireless means of connectivity that don't talk to each other. A lot of applications that are not designed to be networked. So if you look at in, one of the biggest challenges that we have is creating intelligent, connected traffic signals. We are at the very earliest stages. And so companies that are trying to overcome these limitations are forced to come up with workarounds to overcome the lack of connectivity, the lack of interoperability. And so, I mean, there's opportunity there, don't get me wrong. And there, there are startups that are taking this on, including most recently Google, 
is is coming in to try to figure this this challenge out but the parties are just not talking and and i i think i've told you how frustrated i am when its events happen and you go to the exhibit area and there's no wireless carriers there's no semiconductor companies there's no silicon valley companies and it's just really shocking and there's no big software companies you know microsoft isn't there or I don't know, Oracle or IBM trying to take on these challenges, which, you know, lives are at stake. I mean, the, the economy, the entire economy is at stake, but we're not coming together. ITS is a logical place for the, those communications and, and, and that collaboration to occur, but it's really not happening. On that point, Roger, the focus of DOT spending has historically revolved around putting down concrete how do you build a new bridge or how do I add another lane to make a seven-lane highway into an eight-lane highway? And then after it clogs up a few years later, all right, let's add a nine-lane. That's really been the modus operandi for quite some time. And a lot of it has to do with the structure of capital investments being uh, the comfort of the DOTs. That's also kind of how they see uh, fueling economic growth. And yet now we're talking about connected vehicles as a whole new way of thinking about things so how do we shift our investments towards data as a virtual form of infrastructure replacing that concrete? And why do you think this pattern of invest- investing in concrete and infrastructure has become so prevalent? And how do we start shifting that away from the historical spend on concrete and paving roads to this virtual infrastructure, if you will? Well, it's because people are protecting their turf and their fiefdoms and their relationships and, and their you know, selling to DOTs is an art, you know, and there are, you know, DOT whisperers out there that know who to talk to and how to talk to them and how to write a bid and how to win that business. What you're talking about historically has been the kind of incremental approach to solving these problems that is evolving, that is changing. I will say I'm a little bit privileged living where I do in Virginia, where the Virginia DOT has broad authority. So, Many states, even within the states, are divvied up. Uh, Virginia has authority across a lot of jurisdictions to make very strategic decisions across the state. You can see it unfolding when there seems to be a longer-term vision at play. But what has really changed the conversation is the onset of 5G and, in the short run, CV to X technology. So suddenly, the carriers are being really dragged into the conversation because we're talking about the ability of cars to communicate with other cars directly, as well as being able to communicate with infrastructure. So now, if you're going to be put, putting laying down concrete somewhere and laying down conduit for wires or uh, enabling wireless communications, for that matter, or putting up roadside units of some kind, you're thinking longer term, whatever this device is, whatever kind of sensor it is, it needs to be connected to a network. And so I need to be thinking about the broader infrastructure plan for this whole region, the state, and ultimately the country. And so that kind of thinking is finally evolving, is finally coming into the marketplace. So now, you know, it's carriers sitting down with DOTs, sitting down with infrastructure, companies and car companies because those infrastructure companies want to talk to the car companies. How can we use the technology that's going into cars today to improve the throughput at that tolling booth? 
to improve the throughput through that tunnel, over that bridge, to make the operation of that in that environment safer? Are there some sensors or, or is, is there something there we can, we can take hold of? The ultimate uh, manifestation of this kind of conversation is something a, a little bit out there and a, l- a little bit further off on the horizon, which is kind of a infrastructure-based automated driving scenario with companies like Vinci in France, et cetera, that are creating these sort of test tracks where vehicles would be aided by infrastructure with wireless connections, et cetera, for automated driving. You know, you take your hands off the wheels when you enter this highway and the highway would drive the car for you more or less. I think it's a little bit pie in the sky. I think it's more important to focus on more practical solutions. And I'm not a big fan of taking the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver, actually. I think drivers do actually do a very good job and they should be uh, assisted, but not deleted from the, the driving process in Roger's world. So let's talk about something that's near and dear to your heart, connectivity and connected vehicles. I think it's fair to say that today the mobility industry at large is not 100% leveraging connected vehicles for traffic safety in the way that we may have envisioned. And so far, the use cases are are mostly small pilot-based style projects with uh, narrow niche functionalities. I'm curious, you know, because this technology is not new. It's been around for quite some time. The, The technology itself isn't rocket science. Some car makers make it look easy. It's it's actually pretty complex because a typical car can have as many as 19 antennas, and that's a lot of uh, interference that needs to be managed. But go ahead. Okay, so why maybe explain what the complexity is, but also why isn't this something you've seen? We you think we've seen earlier in terms of adoption, and what is it that we need to see for this? data to turn from being a nice-to-have to something that's a must-have in our day-to-day life and, and really based on mission-critical solutions? Well, I think the automotive industry has been ruled by cost constraints and by a philosophy or an ethos of the car being a refuge, a source of freedom. And so we want to enable a, a free use of the vehicle, and we don't want to constrain the driver and bringing in all this technology is adding a lot of expense and the drivers aren't asking for this stuff. Okay. Now the industry has been flirting with autonomous operation for decades, you know, back to the fifties, if not earlier and customers just weren't asking for it. And it was the implication was a lot of added cost that we can't get the customers to pay for an automated vehicle because it would be too expensive to, to enable that experience. So Google fundamentally altered that conversation and now Tesla has done the same thing, introducing the idea of semi-autonomous operation. And so now uh, it's, actually, you're actually, it's actually hard to find a car that doesn't have available on it today a combination of lane keeping and adaptive cruise control, which is borderline level two uh, automation. So now what's happened is Euro NCAP is introducing a driver monitoring uh, requirement in cars. So we have this ironic scenario where we're slowly incrementing 
introducing technologies to assist driving, to make it the, easier for the car to, to help the driver. Yet at the same time, we're introducing requirements that there be a driver monitor to make sure the driver's paying attention. So we're introducing technology to allow the driver to not pay attention and simultaneously introducing requirements that the driver pay attention. So that's why I say there is a recognition that humans actually do a pretty darn good job driving. We're not trying to eliminate the driver. We're trying to assist the driver. We want that driver to continue to pay attention. But in that process, we have found some solutions that people are willing to pay for. So people welcome that blind spot detection. They welcome that lane keeping assist. They like adaptive cruise control that will ma maintain a distance. They like uh, assisted parking. And lately, they like cross traffic warning. You know, don't let me hit stuff. So this, this goes to one of my you know, bugaboos about cars, which is cars shouldn't hit things. That's a product defect. A car hitting something, why did my car hit that thing? It shouldn't hit things. But to make a car that doesn't hit things, it's going to be a little bit more expensive. Well, part of this, I guess, and we've discussed this prior, is that car companies and others in the market are looking to monetize the data itself from the car. And so what do you think of uh, these strategies around data monetization? Data monetization, yes, the $750 billion McKinsey market opportunity. Yeah, there are a lot of moths being torched in, in that flame. So l let's be realistic about data monetization. There are, there are small and very profitable opportunities around extracting data for uh, identifying system failures in the car before those system failures occur because those circumstances would be opportunities or will be opportunities to, to repair the vehicle, bring it in for maintenance. So it's a customer relationship management. It's a customer retention proposition. So vehicle diagnostics, absolutely. In the fleet sector, if you're operating a fleet, you have issues around compliance, uptime, uh, vehicle maintenance, uh, liability, you know, insurance. So in the fleet sector, connected vehicle data and collecting it and analyzing it, very useful and very valuable, but not $750 billion valuable. Maybe a few million dollars here, a few million dollars there. And yeah, it starts to add up, okay. And it can be a very profitable business. But I think chasing propositions like advertising, I mean, it's inevitable, right? Advertising is going to come into the car. And uh, there's going to be battles over what's distracting and annoying, and people are going to try to turn it off. And the challenge is to deliver a value proposition to the customer, okay? So the value of data today from the car is much greater for the dealer and the, and the actual manufacturer of the vehicle than it is for the customer, okay? It's, it's worth much more to take care of that customer and keep them within your brand by using that vehicle data to monitor the vehicle performance. Are there opportunities insurance? In insurance, yes. As we're moving into semi-automated driving, we're going to want to better understand what is the role of the driver. How do you assist the driver without putting the driver to sleep? And is there a way to use those systems to mitigate claims? Because what the insurance industry is seeing creeping up is claims are coming down, but they're becoming more expensive simultaneously because all those sensors have to be repaired that are damaged when crashes do occur. So if you're looking to monetize data, 
you should be looking at what the problem is you're going you're trying to solve. So is it warranty cost avoidance? Is it taking better care of the car? Is it making the car safer? Collision avoidance? Is it reducing the cost of ownership of the vehicle? Those are the core value propositions that make the most sense and will be the easiest to justify than longer term opportunities around advertising or oh I don't know selling I mean, there's all kinds of people who want to service those vehicles, you know, right. and they want they want that data. So car clubs, insurance companies, service stations, all of these organizations want that vehicle data, and many of them are willing to pay for it. My further beef is, okay, if there is a gold mine there, if there is revenue to be made, how about kicking back some to the vehicle owner? What, what's in it for them? Am I, going to get, am I going to get a discount on my lease for sharing my vehicle data? Or do I get a better uh, traffic or routing uh, my navigation because I'm sharing my data? So let's take a step back and look now at the macro. One of the things we like to do, obviously, in this podcast is discuss the past, not just the future, uh, especially in terms of some of the achievements that we've had. And talked about all this innovation, things that are coming in the next coming years. But if we look backwards for the last 50 or 100 years, what in your mind would you say has been the most monumental achievement that we've achieved as a country or as a, the world in general on the transportation side? And why was that such a monumental achievement? I, I think the creation of regulatory authorities like NHTSA that could come in and take on this vehicle safety challenge and see to it that vehicles were made to certain specifications. Big battles were fought over seat belts. Big battles were fought over airbags. NHTSA has almost run out of ideas, basically, for passive safety, surviving a crash. We are now trying to take a step over that threshold into active safety preventing crashes from occurring in the first place. It's not clear that NHTSA has the expertise to pull this off. In the meantime, to, to try to bring down, you know, those hundred lives a day that are lost to try to reduce those figures, because that's a huge achievement that we've gotten to only losing a hundred people a day uh, on our highways, which is shocking and under any other circumstances would be uh, untenable. But it took a lot to get here. And the creation of NHTSA was a lot was part of that. And globally, with the UNECE and the work they've done with WP29 and uh, Euro NCAP and the other NCAP regimes, which are pushing that driver monitoring that I was talking about. So the reason why that was so monumental was because it stepped into that free enterprise world and told the automakers, we have a say. The government has a say in how you're building your cars, and this is how we want those cars built because we, we have a societal interest. It's creating a, a cost, and since that conversation was opened, of course, now and, and more so in Europe than in the U.S., but it's, it's here as well, we've opened conversation about the emissions and that having an impact on society, and they are having some major existential conversations in the industry in Europe where EV registrations exceeded diesel registrations for the first time. So, but it, there's still, you can feel the tension. 
right? We just had a, 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 an administration that was trying to deregulate, deregulate, deregulate at all costs. And now we're gonna, going to see things move in the other direction because we care. There's a societal interest in cars being safe, in not polluting, and being efficient. You know, that, I mean, it's a, it's a foreign policy implication uh, that our cars be more fuel efficient. So that's what's monumental. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And on the emission side, at least in the U.S., we just took the automakers on a roller coaster with all the changes that have happened uh, recently. But let's follow up on the past monumental achievements. So now taking that to the future, what do you think is going to be the next monumental achievement? And specifically, one that looks beyond the horizon of what we're even discussing today. So assuming connected vehicle and the applications within it happen and materialize, assuming that the ITS world starts to integrate and interoperable, have interoperable solution. What's the next thing that we should be paying attention, but we may not be paying attention to right now? It's trying to replicate or reproduce what humans do when they drive. It's, it's meeting that, that active safety challenge. How do we evolve our way to automated driving, especially when Older cars will remain on the roads, you know, for decades to come. And so it's going to be, you know, this kind of mixed environment. But where some cars are communicating with infrastructure, some cars are communicating with other cars, some cars are able to recognize pedestrians and avoid them. And other cars definitely are not. So that is why we're, we're left with this kind of incremental conversation, whether you're talking about the DOTs or you're talking about the automobile manufacturers and why you have this Cinderella like Tesla running around making the most other car car makers, you know, look like monkeys taking advantage of the available technologies to improve situational awareness in the vehicle and now but they're confronting that process in in their own way which is people getting the wrong idea thinking that it is fully autonomous when it's obviously not they have to keep paying attention uh, my favorite scenario is here in Northern Virginia. You know, I, I go out for a drive. My my neighbor takes me out in his Model Three with full self driving, and it it's capable of using the camera technology and and you know some uh, AI to recognize the signal phase and timing of the traffic lights. Now, Audi has a similar solution, but they're Audi's doing it by connecting to the data that's available on the signal phase and timing decision-making behind those traffic lights. And they have a huge artificial intelligence uh, back-end system to try to uh, interpret or estimate when those changes will occur. It's a, not very much a non-trivial exercise. Nevertheless, because the implementations of traffic lights in, in Northern Virginia are pretty uniform, uh, it works pretty well. But it is a an experience that's both, uh, <laughs> I like to say, delightful and terrifying because you do have to pay attention because you may not have made all the proper selections when you <laughs> set it up and turned it on. It's not like a one-switch deal. Maybe um, there are some older intersections in the mix that you're driving through that uh, are a little bit more difficult for the car to interpret and maybe it's it gets a, it wrong. It's a, it's a pricey mistake to make, to say the least. Yes, it's an expensive thrill ride. That's for sure. Yes. Roger, I want to thank you for joining us today. Fascinating conversation for our listeners. 
both about mobility and just some of the challenges that we're facing and what we need to look forward to. So thank you for joining us today. No, thank you very much. It was my pleasure.